It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of apologetics. Well, for the last few weeks, we began this study by examining 14 individuals who were famous atheists, individuals who were looked upon as individuals who understood great things of the universe, the ponderings of man, the philosophies of man, the wisdom of man. And yet when it came time for them to breathe their last, what we find is hopelessness. These individuals had no hope. There was no purpose for life. There was emptiness, sorrow. And so we use those discussions really to pave the way to examine Romans chapter 1 and, yes, even Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, of two roads, two gates, a narrow road, a narrow gate, a path that was wrought with difficulty versus the wide path that leads unto destruction. And so in this study of apologetics, we're not going to give the all-encompassing theories and support of apologetics as we might know it today. But rather, what we wanted to do was encourage you by going back to the Word of God, as we should, to examine the evidences that are all around us for the awesomeness of an intelligent designer. Yes, the awesomeness of God. And that's really what we spent some time with last week. If you've missed the prior broadcast, I want to encourage you, go to calvaryfountain.com. There you'll be able to listen to all the prior broadcasts and more. You'll find even the video commentary on this, the sermon notes and more, all at your disposal, right at your fingertips for you to share with your friends and family alike. Well, this study we want to base off of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We read, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And so as we looked at the awesomeness of God last week, just exploring as you look up into the heavens and you see the handiwork of God, as you look down even to the microscopic level, the subatomic level, all you find is the handiwork of God. His intelligent design is all around us. And so the evidence is all around us. And that's what we want to spend a little bit more time today and really over the next few weeks as we examine the created earth upon which we stand and which we live and breathe in and how it all points to God. And yes, even examining that age-old question, how old is the earth? And as we explore that a little bit further over these next couple weeks, we're going to dive in even deeper into quantum mechanics and show you how even scripturally over 2,000 years ago and beyond, how these things were studied to great detail. The Lord revealed himself even in the things that science had not yet explored. It was always there. God always pointed back to himself, answering questions we hadn't even thought to ask. That's our God. And so we want to have a little fun with that here today. So to help me do it, back in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford is with us here again. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thanks, John. It's great to be back and, and to talk not just about a creative designer, but the ultimate creative designer, right. our Heavenly Father. And it's it's just amazing the, the things that you covered during the last broadcast. We live in a place where we get to, every single day, just enjoy the beauty of the creation that God created for us to enjoy and to glorify Him. We yeah. glorify Him when we appreciate His creativity. And I think this is a great path for us to head down at this point, as you were saying, this, this whole discussion about how old is the earth, a young earth, an old earth. Can you kind of 
fill that in the details for us, kind of flesh that out a little bit for us? <laughs> sure. Let's see. How much time do we have? I think we're going to probably need a couple of broadcasts on this. Uh, right. But I think that we do need to be prepared to always give an answer uh, for what we believe and why. And as many believers should hold to this particular view, I, I do align with answers in Genesis and many others that uh, that suggest and teach quite clearly that the earth is rather young. <laughs> it's not perhaps the millions of years of old of age and so forth that we've we've come to believe it to be uh, those who have spent a great deal of time in in academia will know that there is a, a perpetuated message of the, the old earth theory and and one that's created or evolved um, sometimes they lean on creation and add a lot of years to that or they lean towards, well, it's evolved, it all came from the Big Bang, there is no God, and there's no accountability to a higher power. Uh, so we're going to have to spend a little time really examining this. I think this is, this is something just right up our alley here for Engage in Truth to cover, that I think that when we're done with this, we'll really have a clear outline that the earth is very young, and God's plan in and through that always revealed the work in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was always about his first coming, always about his second, always about uh, the bride being prepared to be readied, to be yoked with him forever and ever. Uh, and all of this points to this one week period of time. Uh, a day is but a thousand years, a thousand years, but a day. And we'll go through that a little bit more, but we trust the Bible as the word of God. So as we turn to the word of God, we expect that science will support what it states. I mean, really, if we just read it for what it says, if we truly examine what true science tells us, not the theories of man or the propaganda machine that's turned on to try to refute any evidence of God, the more we examine the evidences that are before us, the more we see God. You have to really uh, go into some dramatic, chaotic theories to try to refute the evidence for intelligent design. That there was a God at the beginning, there has always been a God who even holds it all together now. That it's not just simply turned over to its own devices where God has been absentee, but rather he holds everything together. So man cannot fully know the infinite God. Even though he's given us his word, we see that in Job chapter 11, verses 7 to 9, and Romans eleven thirty three to 36, but God has revealed himself to finite man, though not all inclusively. And we see that in Deuteronomy 29, 29, and Ephesians 3, 10, and 18. And we get this through his word. That's what he's revealed to us. And 2 Timothy 3, 16, one of my favorite scriptures, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, so he's, give us, he's given us the handbook. Here's the details. Here's what we need to know. We have the 355 prophecies of Christ, the 613 ordinances of the Old Testament, the 1230 commands of the New Testament, all put together. We have the instruction manual, and we don't spend enough time in it, quite frankly, and all of it points to him. Now, this statement is often challenged because Paul wrote these words around 65 AD, and the first compilation of all 66 books of the Bible didn't occur till around 300 AD. So, of course, you get the skeptics who look at that and say, well, then what is all Scripture? However, you want to learn how the Bible was assembled, we've spent a lot of time on that. We'd have, I'd be happy to cover that on another broadcast, uh, Dr. Ford. I think yeah. we'll probably need to spend time on that. How was the Bible put together? How do we trust it? But I can assure you that after my extensive studies in this area, we have a firm foundation to be able to trust that the Bible is precise and has been given to, by God as our baseline. 
It has to be the standard by which we understand the things of God. It's not an interpretation of man about God. It's not filled with discrepancies. It is precise all the way through. And when men try to uh, refute it by saying, well, here's a discrepancy, there's a discrepancy, what what we find is that those things are clearly reconciled, easily reconciled, if they want to learn if they want to understand how those things right, are reconciled. But rather, we want to justify loopholes, our sin, ultimately. And so we want the source of all knowledge and truth to be corrupted in some way. And it is not. It is holy, pure, undefiled, infallible. It is the Word of God. So reading the Bible plainly and straightforwardly, taking into account all the literary styles and context as a basis for what we call the historical grammatical method of interpretation, which has been used by theologians since the beginning of the church. And that's the method that really gives us the exact uh, basic meaning, uh, you know, everything that we need here for the customary usage, whether it's in writing or speaking or thinking. And this method is really the basis for contextual grammatical uh, historical considerations, really, when you put it all together. So the literary, uh, literal method of this is necessary to keep all the imaginations of men in check, right? So if we take it literal, and it's not just simply allegorical or figurative, it's truth is what we would expect of the Bible. Uh, now there all there is symbolism, and we know that scripturally, but when it comes to a consistent interpretation of the Bible needs to be taken literally. And Scripture is full of analogies and literary types. Uh, But again, these are uh, often uh, very easy to understand and interpret because the Bible gives us uh, a, a, not only is the codex full of sort of a roadmap of these interpretations, sometimes you'll even see the word, uh, you know, a star or an aster that's used and the pronoun is or er. Um, So we we get the interpretations a lot easier that way. Other forms of literature that we read outside the Bible, hyperbole is hyperbole, figurative speech is figurative speech, narrative, narrative, prose, prose. Right. And so to apply those same rules to the Bible only makes sense. That's right. And we again, we'll have to spend weeks on that, and I don't want to uh, go down a rabbit hole too deeply right. into that, but I think that that's, if we're going to interpret and understand the creation of the universe and the Bible being our roadmap to that, we need to be able to trust that the Bible is precise. It is wholly accurate, and indeed it is. So the only way to know God's Word is to anchor interpretation in literal exegesis. That's the only way to do it. We're told in John 1, 1 to 4, here's what we read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I know, Dr. Ford, you were spending some fun time geeking out <laughs> over even dark matter and oh, yeah. dark energy in the universe. Right. And as we get into quantum mechanics, it's going to be great. It's going to be really a lot of fun to talk there. about. Uh, we're told in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So from this point of Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-25, all 56 verses in between give us the account of creation in six literal days. I'll explain how we know that. You see, the Bible tracks the durations of time quite well. Uh, popular, you know, is, is, is those times may seem to be with some of our, our genealogy charts. What we fail to do is just simply add it all up. And then when you add it up, you see that there really is no other way to interpret it 
uh, than a literal one of specific ages that have uh, been captured throughout Scripture. It captures all of those durations very well, and I spent a great deal of time adding it all up. In fact, if we take from the flood and we go backwards, we've got 1,657 years from the first day that the clock began to tick for Adam until the flood. So when you add up so-and-so begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, and and through all those genealogy reports and, and charts, what you find is that those numbers then, the durations add up from the time of Adam, whenever the clock began for him, to the flood of 1,657 years. So pre-Christ, for example, to his birth, those early years even, so we'll take, uh, let's just add it all up. Say we take from Adam all the way to the incarnate Jesus Christ, what we have then is 1,657 years plus another 2,237 years, and then we take the ministry of Christ post-resurrection, all the way up to where we are through the church age today of around 2,021 years, taking into account that there is no year zero. When you add it all up, we've got 5,915 years, 5,915, give or take a year or two, right? So it's it's really what we find here scripturally, there's not a lot of time that could exist beyond that. You would have to expound on between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 to add any more time to the equation. And we'll talk a little bit about that. That's called the gap theory, and I don't believe in the gap theory. But so when we take this, we've got less than 6,000 years of recorded human history. Now, the challenge in these numbers is the fact that many, when we look at the calendar today in our 365-day calendar, it's based on the Gregorian calendar that came about in 1582. It was previously known as the Julian calendar that was originally introduced in 46 BC, and that has a five-day variance and that doesn't even include for the leap years or even for the lunar calendar um, variances. So you've got a lunar and a solar calendar variance. And so those variances, if you take all of those adjustments, we could maybe have a discrepancy of around 30 years. So no matter what, we are still less than 6,000 years of human history. I hope I haven't lost our listener in that. It's important to understand. So we're looking at between either 5,915 or around 5,945 years of recorded history since Adam. Okay, that's all that the Bible captures for us. And you have that because you're able to look at the landmarks, the standing stones in Scripture that also add up with the archaeology. So when the archaeologists have come through, and they've also put their stamp on various times, the Lord has left landmarks throughout time. And the landmarks that are the clearest for us are the temples. The temples become those landmarks. And in fact, from those landmarks, you know, when you look at a map and you've got X marks the spot, and you need to know that you're going to walk five paces and turn to the right, right. well, you need a starting point, right? So in fact, there's a uh, this copper, I think copper or bronze scroll, and I'm kind of ad-libbing here because I remember the story from the Dead Sea Scrolls. As they were looking to unravel this particular scroll, it had all of these indicators of uh, perhaps where a great treasure was there in Jerusalem. Some believe it may be where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The problem is that the landmarks are missing. Even the starting point is missing. So how do you interpret a map then when you have no starting point? And so the Lord has left landmarks throughout the durations of time that even the archaeologists would have to confirm. And so, for example, the second temple was constructed around 535 
B.C. It was finished in 515 B.C. after a 20-year construction. It was later destroyed in 70 A.D. Well, then you back up and you go to the first temple. And the first temple was constructed around 960 B.C. It was built in seven years. And we see that Solomon spent ultimately 13 years building his own palace, but he spent uh, a number of resources, uh, thousands upon thousands of workers, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38, to build this temple unto the Lord. It was constructed between 966 B.C. and 957 B.C. That's not a very big variance there. That's a very small gap. So we're not talking about thousands of years here. We're talking less than 10 years in the variance between when archaeologists and historians alike have determined what that landmark is. So around 960 B.C. Well, from there, we know from 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, you add 480 years from that temple construction to go all the way back to the Exodus from Egypt. So there the Bible has given us, here's your marker. Now go backwards 480 years. That will give you that date. That means the Exodus from Egypt was around 1440 BC. Well, then we add 430 years between the covenant and the written law. You see, Moses was only 50 days into the desert when that law was given to him in Exodus per Exodus 19.1. That was perhaps then the original Pentecost, if you will. And so we take 1440 BC plus 50 days and add another 430 years. How do we know that? Because Galatians 3.17 tells us that. And we get the date 1870 BC. That's how we know that that duration of time. Then we add another 80 years to get Moses's birthday. So because he was 80 years old when he began the Exodus, when they left Egypt, according to Genesis 19.1. That means that Moses would have been born around 1520 BC. And the covenant then took place in 1870 BC, that covenant with Abraham. Okay, let's keep going backwards. You add another 75 years to find the birth date of Abraham because Abraham was 75 when he was given that covenant of God, according to Genesis 12, 1 to 5. That means you back up even further. Now we have the, let me throw this in too. We can also even track Noah's death of 1890 BC because Noah died at 950 years old, according to Genesis 9.29. That means that Noah lived 55 years after Abraham's birth. Talk about overlap. Sometimes we get this imagery of the distance between the patriarchs. Not that much distance. In fact, Noah was still alive for 55 years after Abraham was born. But with those numbers of the 75 years that Abraham lived until that covenant, that means that Abraham's birth was in 1945 B.C. Then you add 290 years from Abraham's birth to, to the son uh, Arphaxad was two years old. Uh, he, uh, according to Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, he was two years after the flood. That's the date that's given to us. So you add that time together, you get the date of the flood around 2237 B.C. So then you take from Adam, we get 1,056 years from Adam to Noah, according to Genesis chapter 5. So we add all of these times together. We get the date of Adam when the clock begins, if you will, at 3894 B.C. So Genesis chapter 5 verse 3 tells us that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born and that Adam lived 930 years, according to Genesis 5 5. So there you go. You have it. 3894, give or take 10 years, 
Maybe then you add another 30 years because of the Gregorian lunar calendar variances of the solar versus the lunar, but still you're not going to find much more than 6,000 years, right? So why is it so hard to track? Well, Daniel chapter 7 tells us this, Daniel 7 verses 24 to 25, that he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. Okay, so the enemy will deliberately go out to try to skew the baseline for the discussions, right? And we see that constantly where the times are always being challenged, but really without any dates. The Bible tells us the durations. So now the debate becomes how long did it take for creation to occur? Because if we only have about 6,000 years of human history between where we are today all the way back to Adam— then how long did it take to create things? That's really where the discussion starts to come into play. And it's important for us then to set up that discussion, I believe, as we look at the young earth theory. Let me just throw out a couple here, because in our time, it's going to get away from us. We're going to have to really examine this closely, Dr. Ford. I think we'll spend a number of, perhaps even a couple weeks talking about this. Uh, But before I share with you the, the theological reasons for why it's so important to hold to a literal six days for creation, Let me just share some of the evidences. And I know, Dr. Ford, you've spent a lot of time studying some of this as well. Uh, But I mean, uh, let me just give 10 over these next couple weeks. Maybe we can examine one or two here today. But there's so much out there from the scientific evidence that shows a young earth that God really did tell us. He says, "I, I created it all in six days. These are six literal days. That means that the earth isn't that much that older than 6,000 years when you add just those six days to the equation. And all the evidence points to that. The sediment accumulation on the seafloor, for example, every year, approximately 20 billion tons of dirt and rock from continents is deposited on the seafloor, yet sediments globally measure no more than 1,300 feet in depth. That means we should see at least 250 times more sediment than we do if the earth was more than, say, 10,000 years old. If it were older than that, all the evidence of just even the seafloor itself should tell us that. How about the bent rock layers? We'll come back to this next week as well. But in many mountainous areas, rock layers thousands of feet thick have been bent and folded without fracturing. How can that happen if they were laid down separately over hundreds of millions of years and already hardened? The only viable scientific explanation is that the whole sequence was deposited very quickly. The creation model indicates that it took less than a year during the global flood cataclysm, which we know was about 377 days. So perhaps this is when the polar caps shifted as well. We talked about that a few weeks back when we were looking at the millennial reign that perhaps that's when it shifted 23 and a half degrees. This is just two of 10, Dr. Ford, that I know we'll have to spend some time on, is we really examine the evidence is all around us that the earth is not that old. At, at least this created earth that God has made, regardless of whether he even created before the earth, that's a whole different discussion. But the earth as we know it, pre-flood, post-flood, and getting ready for the reign of Jesus Christ is no more than 6,000 years from the evidence and I know maybe I've, I've shocked a few folks by saying that, but I think that as we cover this over the next few weeks, they will see quite clearly that the scientific community has to agree, even reveal it. Week after week, new evidence seems to be coming out showing that these evidences are true, that there is an intelligent designer, 
The Bible was clear from day one. It is black and white. It holds to be firm and truthful. And therefore, it is our roadmap in understanding these things. And I believe that the evidence is quite clear of a very young earth. We're going to have some fun talking about this next week, I know. <laughs> and time has already gotten away from us. It's hard to, it's, it's a, there's so much to talk about. I'm excited for what we're going to share over the next couple of weeks. And Dr. Ford, I want you to have an opportunity to do so likewise, because I know you're eager to, to talk about some of these things. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth today. Uh, we are just always excited week after week when you tune in and listen to engage with us. If you could go and visit calvaryfountain.com, that's our website. You can learn more about our ministry here on the radio as well as at the Church of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.